Hey, buddies. Welcome once again to the Franco Observer Podcast. I am your host, Jason Rudy, from Desperate Visions Productions. And breaking news as I record this podcast, um, as of two days ago, Tubi uh, here in America, and I know it's in Canada and some other areas, and if you're on the other side of the world, I believe you can watch it on TubiTV.com. Um, might want to check that up. I'm, I've heard mixed things if it's available in other regions, but also going to be soon on Amazon Prime. And that is Lady Hyde, uh, L-A-D-Y, as in Lady, and Hyde, as in Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, H-Y-D-E. So yeah, Lady Hyde, my 14th film uh, that came out in June or so, July, actually July of 2022, is now on Tubi streaming and soon to be on Amazon Prime. They all have it. I'm just waiting for it to upload it. So I'm thinking next few weeks maybe. I don't know. We'll see. I'll let you know. But yeah, Amazon Prime and then it's coming soon to Momitu, M-O-M-E-T-U, and Nuclear Home Video. So uh, I know with Amazon Prime, that's worldwide. So definitely hang out and keep looking for Lady Hyde. My uh, updated retelling, um, and my and also I changed a whole bunch of stuff, but my version of uh, She Killed in Ecstasy. And I've already had some guest reviews from um, all around the world, actually. A friend in uh, um, Germany and someone in... Uh, here in America, I believe, in the South, uh, watched it and both gave it good reviews. And if you go to the Franco Observer podcast page on Instagram, you will see those posted. So, yeah, check it out. So, happy to report that finally. Uh, Lady Hyde is available for all to stream worldwide. So, yeah, and uh, I used the Just Franco checklist when I made that. And the next film, Emmanuel in Sin City which should be out in either December 2022 or January 2023. I'm still deciding on where I want that to lay. So. Um, and then, of course, the vampire film that we're filming in uh, November, December, January, something like that, on a few days here and there, about maybe eight days shoot. So, so yeah, be on the lookout for those coming from Desperate Visions Productions and uh, good to have uh, films again flowing through the veins. So... Now, on to other words. Uh, this being episode 114, we are on film number 114, and it is La Sombra del Judoka Contra el Dr. Wong. That's the Spanish theatrical title, and the translation is the Shadow Judoka versus Dr. Wong. Um... There's no guest reviewer on this. I watched this myself uh, because the version I have is the Spanish dub that's, I think, taken from TV um, with, unfortunately, no subtitles. So uh, I know a little bit of Spanish, so I understood maybe 20% of the language or so. Um, still learning, so I need to get stronger on that. It'll make me appreciate these films. But, uh, yeah, subtitles or no subtitles, um, this is not really it. 
one of my favorite Franco films, unfortunately. So, so yeah, so this will probably be a shorter episode because, uh, as always, we take information on the making of this from the book in this series of Franco's career, volume two, uh, titled flowers of perversion. And that's by Stephen thrower and, um, might be back in print again or coming back in print. So, uh, but yeah, so it's just me reviewing this one. It'll be a shorter episode because I didn't write a lot of notes either as I watched it, but I will definitely talk about it. And uh, we won't do a break. We'll just do the uh, shorter episode style where we run it as one little notes here and uh, the review there and go as we go. So, all right, <clears throat> here we go. So, um, this is Spain, 1982 period. And uh, we have um, the alternative title, La Sombra del Chutoca. That was the registration title, just the uh, shadow of Joduka. No Dr. Wong and all in there. Uh, production company, Golden Films International. Uh, this is a very, very, very low-budget Golden Films, and all their stuff is low-budget, but this one is almost non-existent budget. Uh, so yeah, it was interesting. Uh, production company, okay, Golden Films, uh, distributor. This was actually unreleased theatrically, so that should kind of tell you something about the quality of the film. Uh, timeline shooting date. This was filmed circa September 1982. Got its uh, deposit legal number on November 11th, 1982, and uh, screened on Spanish TV. That's where it was. The version I got, and that was in July 7th of 1996, so that's the version that's floating around, is the Spanish TV cut. Uh, intended theatrical running time, that's funny, 86 minutes. Uh, video running time converted from the Spanish TV, uh, 85 minutes, 35 seconds. Alright, so credits on this, writer-director Jess Franco, but here he's billed as Clifford Brown, so it's almost like his Alan Smithy, you know. Maybe somebody's not as strong. So, director of photography, camera operator, Jess Franco, but he's billed as Joan Almoral. He's used that alias before him and other people. Uh, music, Daniel White, billed as Pablo Villa, and uncredited Jess Franco. So yeah, whenever it's Pablo Villa, it's either both or one or two. Uh, music recording, Rexon. Let's see. Um, Uncredited first to camera operator Jess Franco. Why does he build himself as camera operator and first camera operator? That's funny. Says there's no other camera operators. <laughs> he just be, anyway. Production manager Daniel Katz. Oh, it's not even Antonio Mayans. Yeah, because he's uh, not in this film. Interesting. It's another stage against it too. Uh, editor Jess Franco, of course, and executive producer Stella Laraga and Emilio. Laraga from Golden Films, husband and wife team. All right, cast on this. Oh, this is crazy. So the lead is a fella named Jose Lamas, but he's billed as Bruce Lynn, L-Y-N, and his character is Bruce. And uh, the basically the poster art that I got that was released of it, they basically show half of his face in a profile uh, shadowed. And actually, no, that's not even him. That's one of the guys he fights. So never mind. They, instead, for him, they use a stock picture of Bruce Lee from Game of Death, where he's wearing the yellow uh, famous outfit with the black stripe down the side, uh, down the sides. 
of his shoulders all the way down. So, yeah, they use that stock picture of Bruce Lee and bill it as Bruce Lynn, L-Y-N. And this guy has almost like no karate skills or anything. It's pretty comical. Uh, and then, of course, we have Lena Romay, who's wasted in the film, plays Mari. And she's used the name Mari later on, of course. Um, Mari Cookie and such. Uh, but, yeah, she... She has kind of a nude scene, but not even that, so it's just totally wasted. Uh, and then, of course, Albino Graziani returns and actually does a decent job. He's actually one of the better actors because he's a decent actor in this film, so he at least tries. Uh, and he plays the character of Spencer. And then we have an actual person named Mari, Mari Carmenito. Uh, oh, actually, she was in the last film. Let me see. I recognize her name. Uh, yeah, okay. So she was, in the last film, um, Mansion of the Living Dead, the lady who was the first victim, the short-haired gal. Okay, I thought that was her. She returns in this film as, uh, I think it's uh, Dr. Wong's second in command. She wears a gold outfit, and she's uh, Mari Carmenito, and she's as Leah Kaplan. And her character is Ojos de Mil. And uh, you have Polly Kwan as... Sai Pan, and she plays the character of Sai Chin. Then Daniel Katz plays the character of Philip Morris, which is funny because the next film, uh, is it like the Blues did Cali Pop, there's also a lot of cigarette um, character names, Winston and Marlboro and uh, other ones. I don't have the information in front of me, but I know there's... Uh, actually, let me see real quick. There's... Um, Oh, they just have first names in this other one. Oh, actually, that's the wrong one. Never mind. Uh, let's see. Yeah, because in Blues to Kelly Pop, they have uh, Winston, uh, Lucky, uh, Chesterfield, Marlboro. Uh, what else we got here? Yeah, all cigarette ones. So that's funny. So he's starting to do that with here, Philip Morris. And finally, Jess Franco acts in this as well. Even though he's first camera operator and camera operator, I wonder who's second camera operator. They don't have that build in here. That's interesting because unless he's using no, and there's yeah, because some people zoom in and out when he's in film. So yeah, anyway, uncredited. I wonder who the second camera operator is in this film because he plays the role of uh, Doctor Wong, the main heel, kind of a uh, Fu Manchu ripoff, but it's a monogram character, I guess, from the '40s. So Stephen Thor talks about that. So. Um, all right, I'll give the synopsis written here, and then give his review, and then I'll in all the information, and then I'll kind of give my review right afterwards because it's not too short, not too long, and then we'll do the Franco list, like always. So, all right, here we roll. Uh, synopsis: Doctor Wong, a shadowy drug lord involved in heroin trafficking, sends his gang of heavies to eliminate an enemy called. Mr. Jung, Mr. Hung. Hung is murdered, but Wong has reckoned without a martial arts student of Hung's called Bruce Lin, Jose Lamas, who vows revenge for Young's death. In order to achieve his vengeance, Bruce must summon a supernatural karate spirit called the Shadow of Judoka. Meanwhile, Mari and Philip Morris, two British Secret Service agents, are sent to investigate. 
Wong is also engaged in a battle with Machado, a rival gangster in the same line of business. Learning of Bruce's sworn mission, he sends his thugs to ambush him. Bruce is saved by Mari and Philip. Wong deploys his female associate, the beautiful Honey Eyes, <laughs> to prepare a trap. After various scrapes and adventures, it transpires that the so-called secret agents are actually two corrupt millionaires who intend to steal the ship's cargo of heroin for their own wicked ends. Bruce Lynn stops them, but recalls the guidance of his teacher on the subject of mercy. After chastising the terrified couple, he lets them go free. Yeah, that's basically the film from top to bottom. So here's a <clears throat> Stephen Thor's review. La Sombra del de, Start again. <clears throat> La Sombra del Judoka contra el Dr. Wong resurrects the long-forgotten monogram pictures yellow peril character Dr. Wong. No subpoenas, please. An archetypal oriental villain played in this instance by Jess Franco himself. The result, achieved on nine pence, is a very minor hoot for Franco watchers, with a hell of a lot of tolerance for aimless larking about, and unwatchable fluff for anyone else. Unreleased theatrically, La Sombra del Jutoco contra el Dr. Wong is as irksome and ungainly as its title, and thoroughly deserves its obscurity. Yeah, he, he pretty much thrashes it there, and I kind of have to agree. Those who criticize Franco's late 1960s Fu Manchu films would perhaps feel more generously disposed toward them if they were first made to sit through this serving of phony orientalism from the penny-pinching golden films period. Yeah, it's funny. That's true. They, they use the kind of the um, fake uh, old-style 40s kind of that font and everything and give it that fake uh, um, Asian look on it. It's, it's interesting. Anything about that? Um, let's see. The end result asks much of our credulity while offering a little in terms of either sex, violence, or action. No more than a plate of half-baked chop sake cliches. It's as appetizing as well, a stale Chinese food metaphor. The adventure boom that swept through European exploitation cinema after the horror bubble burst in the early 1980s tended to show up the limitations of low-budget filmmaking in high relief. So when you consider that Franco had a tenth of the money available to Italian exploitation directors like Antonio Margheriti or Lucio Fulci, it's no wonder the results look so threadbare. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's and I come from that same school of uh, filmmakers. You know, I, I just kind of have a little bit of money, uh, work a, you know, full time, part time, type, uh, you know, menial labor job, pay all your bills, you have a little bit of money left over, and either you could just sit there and you know save for two years and have a better movie or just pay people what you can and just shoot and do the next one, do the next one. And, you know, time is almost more important sometimes than money. So I, I feel for Franco and I understand why sometimes if you just have a small amount, you got everybody on the same page then just kind of do it, you know, which I, I kind of go through those phases myself sometimes, you know, so, uh, so anyway, let's see here. Um, Understanding this doesn't make watching the films any easier, though, and it's obvious that Franco had no strategy for bringing the genre 
for bringing the genre within his means. In his ultra-low-budget horror films, there is at least a strange dislocated atmosphere that dovetails perfectly with the genre's dispensation to disturb the viewer. Horrific images and eerie moods are natural bedfellows, so even if your special effects budget is minuscule, you can always lean more heavily on the latter. Here, here, I agree. But what to do when a martial arts action film can't afford any action? What new elements can be substituted? What background detail expanded? Behind the action of an action film, there lies only scenery. Franco has nothing to offer but dialogue. And I think it's fair to say that few of his films stand on their written writerly merits. Despite his signature wind effects whistling away in the background, this sounds, the sound that spoke of magic and mystery in Mansion of the Living Dead is here. Just the cold breeze of poverty whistling through the empty spaces vacated by the genre's essentials. One could argue that this makes for an odd, alienated sensation. And it's true that, to a point, we're seeing action film characters abandoned by their genres, high and dry, like fish washed on a beach. But, as if the moribund Kiss Me Killer period approved in 1973, it was impossible to make a decent action movie on a Euro scene budget. It's positively nuts to attempt it on Emilio, Emilio, Emilio Laraga's money. That's funny. Uh, among the cast, Jose Lamas gives it his best shot, even though his karate skills would appear to have been hastily attained during a weekend crash course at the nearest dojo. He's certainly good-looking enough to play a Bruce Lee-style hero, even if he does have to wear ridiculous makeup appliances to simulate Japanese eyelids. What is this thing called political correctness? Yeah, see, the copy I seen was so faded, I didn't even see that. That's funny. Uh, the rest of the cast wander through the film without enthusiasm. Romay, dark-haired for the first time since La Noche de los Sexos Ebretos, uh, is wasted, but seems temperamentally unengaged. Albiano Graziani grizzles without necessarily acting. Only Daniel Katz comes off well, playing the part of a shady smuggler with all the smarm of a young James Woods. Uh, if you're in the generous mood, you can admire the way Franco merges his own footage with borrowed clips from Japanese sources. But having worked so long for Eurochin, you're seeing he was no stranger to the notion. As for the rest of the trudge through the boondocks of tedium, it's best to perform a swift blocking maneuver and move on. All right, Franco on screen. Franco takes the plum role of cut-price criminal mastermind Dr. Wong. It's a decision for him... It's a decision for which we must be grateful, because seeing him playing a naif oriental Bond villain like something from a 1970s Two Ronnies sketch is the most memorable aspect of the film. It must be a British reference. Uh, music. A cheap, woozily detuned synthesizer drifting into quarter tones represents the mysteries of the East. The result is a little bit like music and a little bit like shoving bamboo spikes in your ears. Perhaps this is what they mean by Chinese torture. Wah, wah. Uh, locations, the Canary Islands. Connection. A Golden Films release opening with scenes of rush hour commuter crowds and bustling subways. How can this be? That's the question that crosses the Franco veteran's mind as the Sombra del Jutoku contra el Dr. Wong begins. After all, Franco's golden films generally seem to operate in a depopulated limbo with a cast of five or six people and no extras. 
The crowd scene stands out like an erect penis in a Steven Spielberg movie. <laughs> However, all is eventually explained when we realize that Franco had simply incorporated footage from at least two different Asian films, one of which Franco's scholar Robert Monell has identified as Seven to One, a 1973 film by Hao Cheng, featuring the actress Polly Kwan, credited as Chin Tai in the Franco film. <laughs> Franco has simply taken a leaf out of Yu Chin's little red book of exploitation and edited in footage from an unrelated older movie. Or two movies, actually. The title, Dr. Wong, alludes to The Mysterious Mr. Wong, a 1934 film starring Bela Lugosi. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. And or Mr. Wong in Chinatown, a 1939 film starring Boris Karloff. Forgot about that too. So yeah, that's cool. Uh, and I see why he wanted to use the title. Uh, La Sombra del Judoco contra el Dr. Wong sees Daniel Katz join the Franco acting troupe for the first of ten roles. In a film that takes a tongue-in-cheek approach to the yellow peril, can it be entirely a coincidence that so many shots have the nearby Sanyo Corporation offices visible in the background, such mega-corporations being far more of a threat than puny drug smugglers. Alright, so, put my glasses on. Actually, no, I want to do that. So, alright, so, uh, that was Stephen Thrower's information on, uh, this film, so, looks about 20 minutes there on that, so, not bad. Usually do 30, so. All right, now I'm going to give you my uh, little review of that. Kind of, you kind of know the synopsis now of the film. So, uh, yeah, this is uh, once again film number one fourteen by Jess Franco. It's uh, the version I have is, of course, the version out there off Spanish TV with no subtitles. Um, be cool if somebody maybe put this through YouTube and then uh, did the subtitle generator and maybe shared that, or or even just put it on YouTube because then people could it would ge- self generate subtitles automatically. I think. That's a thought. All right. Um, starts off with film footage of a group uh, chasing a man. That's what we talk about, non-Franco. Yeah, and it's funny because you can almost... Well, it's not too hard to tell, but uh, the footage is different. Like the aspect ratio, the stock of the film, the color of the film stock where it goes back and forth. You can definitely tell that uh, it's not from the same film. And it would work if it was used in a flashback. But what he should have did was he should have tried to color correct the film as close as he could with his own footage. But I, I just think he just basically edited it in without really, you know, doing any kind of a post-color change or correction on the uh, other footage to at least match it as close as he could. Uh, so anyway, so yeah, you see the Franco uh, starts with the other footage of a group chasing a man, non-Franco footage. And then you have Franco footage of three men attacking a man and a woman in a hotel. So it's like... He has these group of uh, Asian gentlemen chasing the guy off the train. Then you see three different men who happen to be Asian as well kind of go to the hotel and inside. So he kind of makes it look like these guys were part of the original footage. They kind of splintered off and then, or or they're doing this at the same time type of deal. So at least as I could tell without uh, subtitles or anything. But that's pretty much how he tries to marry the two scenes together. Uh, so of course, uh, four minutes in, we have our first nudity. Actually, I think our first and maybe only nudity. No, no, actually, no. There's some later on. That's right. Very minimal though. Uh, you have a woman in the hotel room. That's of course uh, 
attacked by these men. I think they're, I think she's killed basically because they like punch her and then it cuts away. So I, I assume she's, yeah, I know actually she does die because she writes on the uh, mirror. Uh, but yeah, she's attacked uh, by the gold suited woman, which is Mr. Wong's assistant. And um, you have uh, seven minutes in the film. Franco, we see him for the first time playing Mr. Wong or Dr. Wong. And um, he does his narration or does his voiceover and he's using a more higher up kind of a voice and it's funny so always the legend is that Franco tells and I I, I believe the story is that uh, Yoda is of course based, based on Jess Franco and he talks about it and you can find it on YouTube as just look up Jess Franco Yoda Severn interviewed him on one of the DVD extras, and he talks about how one of his uh, friends that was uh, worked on one of his f- earlier films as like a art designer or set designer or worked in special effects or makeup or something like that, ended up being one of the ones that kind of came up with the design of Yoda. And, and when Jess Franco saw him years later, he thought Franco was mad at him, and Franco had no idea. And then he told him about the Yoda thing, and Franco complimented it and thought it was great and everything. And and in this film, Franco doesn't look like him, but he definitely has the voice of the Yoda. So it's kind of interesting to hear his uh, kind of a Yoda thing. And it's, if you slow it down, it would be definitely more him. Um, and then we see Albert Grimaldi. And then we also see the guy, uh, he has a beard, and uh, he was in Macumba Sexual, and he was in a few films of that period. He returns as well. Let me see if I can look his name up real fast. Um He's, um, let's see, it's, uh, I think it's Angel or Dallies or, um, uh, close up Malou, no, it's not Malou, it's, uh, yeah, I think it's Angel or Dallies. He returns here, he kind of plays like one of the, uh, like main thugs or like the main uh, tough guy of um, Albert Grimaldi's character or Albino Graziani's character, uh, Spencer. Uh, he's kind of like the like tough guy and he has a fight scene later where they like try to hit him a bunch of times and he's just like real strong, like he doesn't feel it and he's knocked out with a rock on the back of the head. But So yeah, so we have, uh, once again, we have the old footage we see, uh, flashback of basically like... Um, so you have two films. You have the footage of the guys getting chased by the by the gang, by the trains, and you have this female character that you see her interacting with, different, looking over her shoulder, and they cut with footage of somebody else chasing her that's not in that footage. Then we see other footage of the Bruce Lynn character um, where he got his training of this, like, karate teacher with all the students in this grand area but you don't see Bruce Lynn you just see him like sitting like he's sitting off camera watching it and then you cut to him looking and then cut to that other footage so it's funny it's back and forth back and forth and of course those footage don't look anything like each other um, then you have the bartender and Bruce mixed in with old scene of the woman I had spoke of before so they do a lot of scenes where they go back and forth of it's supposed to be the one film, but you can definitely tell the difference, so it's very jarring. Uh, then you have your first karate scene, actually. Um, uh, Franco, the voiceover of it, and you even have old karate instructor footage. Oh, yeah, Franco, that's right. Franco also voices the karate instructor, the like bald old man with the long white mustache and beard, totally cliched 
karate instructor master, you know, and he's doing the voice of that, which is funny because that's more Yoda style. Um, and it's funny too. So the karate in this is really interesting. They they really do a lot of slow motion, like you get ready to do a chop, and as soon as the chop gets ready to hit, they'll slow it down real slow so it looks better, and then the, like the impact, and the guy sells it, and then or guy registers more because you do it s- slower, and then he'll register the shot, and then stagger back and sell it. And uh, then it speeds up a little bit. So, but yeah, they do a lot of slow motion on this to kind of cover up the lack of moves because each scene's only like a few kicks or a few chops, and then it's over. It's not like extended fight sequences or anything. It's pretty bad. But in order, like they talk about the trick they use is, of course, the shadow of Judoka. That's what that is. Is basically Bruce Lynn's character was taught by this instructor that because Bruce Lynn is a character, this guy basically gets his ass kicked in every scene he's in. Everybody just hurts him. Like, he does one or two shots, and, like, everybody just kicks the shit out of him, whatever, and he's always knocked to the ground. Then he has to, like, sit there, which they should just, like, shoot him or, like, put the boots to him or, like, hurt him or something, but they, like, let him basically hulk up. So he basically sits there, and he'll, like, focus on this shadow of judoka, Then, which is halfway cool. I mean, it's cheap, but it's very creative, and that's one thing about Franco that, like, I always say, if you always... Even through the bad films, if you can try to learn something from them as a filmmaker or something, take something positive out of something. The uh, shadow scene is an interesting effect. Such a cheap, basic, effective scene, but it works. Uh, so basically, he sits there and focuses, then you see this little like person, or you see a shadow where it's small, then it's, basically it's just a person crouching down and they're standing up. So then the shadow gets taller like it's a magical like genie or something. And then the shadow fights the the other bad guys that beat him up, beat up Bruce Lynn. So you see like a person act like they're punching the shadow, and the shadow will punch at them, and then they go flying and stuff. So it's a very uh, a very cheap special effect, but that's the thing: special effect. It's an effect that's special, an effect that's not natural. So and it's creative, special. So if you can do something like that, it's it's still a special effect. It doesn't have to be a million-dollar special effect. It could be a free special effect, but it's still special. So, yeah, so that's that was actually kind of interesting. Um, so, yeah, yeah, the shadow reappears in fights. I wrote an interesting effect, which I just said that's interesting. <laughs> uh, second karate scene, and then we have the old footage of the woman uh, walking at night. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so basically you have the footage of that woman again. She's walking, and men are chasing her at night. And then the guy comes up and picks her up and, like, beats up all these guys, but you don't see any of the footage of the fight. It's just he stops, picks her up, then it cuts to her all kind of, like, beat up in the car, and he's talking to her, and it drives off. It's very jarring, and it's... I don't know if the person recording maybe accidentally cut out that scene or if they just didn't have it or Franco didn't use it or I have no idea, but, yeah, for running time or whatever, it's just... It was pretty bad. I don't know why it was there. Um, then you have, um, I mean, you use it to move the story along. I guess it connects scenes, but I don't know. Uh, then you have the um, bearded guy, which is Angel Ordales, and two dudes. They attack Bruce, and uh, Philip Morris finally shows up and uh, has a gun and shoots into the air, and they go running. And Lena Romay um, is with them, and they shoot and scare the thugs away. And then the gold-suited girl, the name Honey Eyes, which is Dr. Wong's assistant, comes in and she seduces Bruce. Uh, they have a little scene together where she takes her clothes off and everything. It's very cheesy. Um, 
Then you have a third karate scene with uh, a lot of slow-mo shots I had mentioned. And uh, like I said, Bruce isn't very powerful in this. He gets beat up a lot. Um, but yeah, it's funny. They have this... Uh, oh, and then Lena comes in and tries to seduce him finally. You're like, okay, we get Lena in this negligee. You see her like ass, basically, in this negligee. She's wearing like a thong or whatever. And then you maybe see like part of her boobs, I guess, or something maybe. I don't know. It's very... You're just like, come on, it's Lena Romay, man. But yeah, they have this like sex jazz tune when Lena's in the negligee and she visits him. It's pretty funny. Uh, then I have also, uh, yeah, so the aspect ratio on the other two film footages, or two or three maybe, because you got the train guy, the woman, and the old thing. Yes, yeah, at least two films, maybe three, is different as the color and the look. Uh, the, and of course, he uses the old music reused for the tender and perverse Emmanuel. That's the, uh, that sex jazz tune. It's funny. Here are the, and then, uh, and then basically an hour into the film is when Bruce arrives at Dr. Wong's compound and you have the big showdown and everything with Dr. Wong sending people to attack Bruce and then the ensuing fight scene and then, uh, like he had mentioned, Lena Romay and them getting the heroin and Bruce scolding them and then letting them leave. And it's just a very bizarre film. It's Franco's attempt at karate film. Uh, I think this was his first... I mean, he's had action and fight scenes and stuff before... Uh, Girl from Rio's got a little karate stuff in it. But I think this was his first karate film. But I'm trying to think. I think he has one more. But then he has uh, some other karate elements coming up later with the um, the golden uh, bug um, version he does here again. Um, what was that again? The um, uh, bu- 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 It's the... Uh, oh, yeah, Searching Golden Dragon. So, yeah, I think there's karate elements in that, too, if I remember right. I watched it years ago, but I'm going to watch it again as it comes up on the... Uh, comes up on the list of films so yeah so i don't know this is uh, like i said before this isn't the greatest franco film but it's also not the worst uh it's a out of now 114 films this is probably in the bottom five or ten yeah maybe bottom five but definitely bottom ten maybe bottom five um i didn't hate it but uh a lot of it I just I could just do without it wasn't anything good but you know it's for Franco Completus only um, to put out a version with subtitles it might help a little bit definitely um, maybe get them to fix this and clean it up or see how we do or whatever so I don't know so uh, this is like I said going to be a shorter episode of the podcast so uh, but let's go over and hit the Franco list so alright Franco List, uh, once again, a checklist of reoccurring images and themes in Franco films. Um, And as time goes on, I might cycle out certain elements because they kind of dissipate according to the time frame of the films. Certain ones started with Dietrich era, some started with Harry Allen Towers area, some with uh, the... uh, Eurochin and those, and then other times, um, basically, different ones go away and new ones come in. So, alrighty, so once again, number one, which is in all of them, of course, Body of Water. Yes, we have the uh, lily pad, and then of course, you have the actual uh, ocean nearby, you see. Number two, Sailboat. We have no sailboat, but we have the sailboard footage again that we saw from Mansion of the Living Dead. It's like a surfboard with a sail. Uh, I see a person in the sea doing that. It's kind of quick. 
Number three, boats. Yeah, we have a lot of boat shots in there, definitely. No no sailboats per se, but just a lot of boats, empty rowboats and, and steamboats and everything. Uh, number four, palm trees, yes. Number five, jungle sound effects. No, we have no jungle, but like Stephen Thor mentioned, we have a lot of the wind sound effects and things that try to make up a soundscape. Uh, number five, or no, no, number six, chained up person. No, you know, it's funny. You think in this film there'd be somebody chained up like in the compound of Dr. Wong or, or whatever, but no, there's some fight scenes and stuff, but no, nobody's really chained up or tied up per se or held captive. Uh, number seven, dance scenes on stage stripping. That would be no, very little nudity, like I said, in this film, but there's a few scenes, but definitely no dance scenes on stage stripping. Number eight, club scenes, dancing, bar. No, there's a bar. Of course, we have the bartender Angel or Dali, or uh, yeah, Angel is doing the bartending, and you have some scenes of him, Bruce Lynn, and people sitting at a bar talking, but definitely no scenes of people dancing or having a good time. At least, if so, it's all off camera. But there's a scene, a, da- a bar scene, but that's about it. Number nine, jazz music. No, but yes, there's not in the beginning, but uh, um. There was some toward the end because they reuse a couple of scenes. Like I said, the kind of the saxophone jazz scene is one, but most of it's not. But there is a little bit toward the end. Uh, ten excessive zooms, kinda. There's a lot of zooming out and some zooming in. Uh, a little bit more, it seems like, because he was a little bit quicker made on this film, so he might have been relying a little bit more. But not crazy, but a little more than usual. Uh, Eleven out of focus shots. No, seems decent on this. Uh, 12 mirror shots yes uh, the woman who in, I mentioned attacked in the hotel room like in the first five minutes of the film or so she writes part of the person's name uh, like El Jidoku is like uh, on the mirror she writes E-L and then in like the steam of her breath and then, so the mirror is kind of an important scene because it relays a clue or the name of a person that they're finding so uh, number 13 mind control theme no not that I can tell uh, 14, magic tongue scene. Nope, no Lena. Keeps her tongue in her mouth pretty much the whole film. Uh, 15, red light scenes. Nope. Uh, 16, sheepskin rug or masturbation with a item starting with the letter C. Uh, that'd be no. Uh, 17, mad scientist and servant. Kind of. We have Dr. Wong. He's not a scientist, but he's a doctor. So, And he has an assistant, the lady in the gold suit. He calls uh, Honey Eyes. Uh, gold pant girl. She's uh, his assistant and does his work. So yeah, I, I guess that's kind of, yeah. Uh, 18, fish tank shots. That would be no. Uh, 19, talking parrots, talking animals of any kind. Not in this one, but you will have some in a few films coming up from now. Uh, 20, end credits. Yes or no? Yes, there is. And I was happy to see it end. Uh, 21, handwritten notes, handwritten signs, anything funky or janky like that. Uh, not that I noticed, uh, could have been, but I, I don't, I don't think I caught that on this one. 22, spiral staircase shot, uh, where are we at here? 20, 21, 22, that'd be no on spiral staircase. Number 23, uh, inept cops, no. 24, belly chains. See, that's one I think I'm going to take off the list or change into something else, because the belly chain era was almost like, um, kind of the shining sex era those sets of films. So you have like five, five or ten films where like belly chains was all over the place, but that's kind of gone now. So, And now I'm into 82, so it's kind of passe, I guess. Uh, number 26, great headboards. Now I didn't catch any of those in this. 
27. Uh, fear or desire. God, let me think on this one. Fear or desire. Uh, well, he's going to do the right thing. Kill the guy. Get the money. Fear. <laughs> ah, wow. This has almost either neither, and that's why it's probably a really bad film because it doesn't feature fear. Um, because he draws, he's strong, and he's this guy, and going through the mission and all that stuff. And desire, I mean, I guess he has a desire to beat him and maybe do the right thing. But then when he has the bad guys caught, he just, like, scolds them and stuff. So there's really no desire in it because it's, like, almost loss of ego. And the shadow is the one that does the work. So I would say for one of the first times in Franco Observer history, there's almost no fear or desire in this film. If you disagree, definitely let me know. Uh, 28, acoustic guitar player in the film. No, that'd be negative in this one. And 29, is there a reading a book scene or anything? Kind of. Uh, you see two paperback books on the table where um, the guy comes in, uh, the bad guy's room, I guess. Guy with the jacket comes in and he puts two paperback books on the table. I tried to freeze to see what the title was, but it's the copy I have was such a soft copy it's hard to see the titles. But I definitely saw two paperback books. They look like... Uh, like pulp novels or something, you know, some kind of an action, kind of a, you know, old school type book. So definitely a 70s font and all that looked, looked pretty cool. So, yeah, that's the only thing. You know, there's two paperback books laid on the table that he reads, but I guess we don't see him read. So, yeah, like I said, the version I have is the DVD-R, uh, taken from, I guess, Eurotrash uh, Cinema Site. Uh, I got from them. Uh, and they have the poster, which I mentioned. It says... Uh, it's got the Bruce Lee Game of Death pose where he's kind of got the hands up in the yellow outfit. Then you got a couple little sequences from the film. A couple bad guys walking into a shot. A guy taking one of the women away. And a guy doing a really lame sidekick. Then the very bottom right, you got Lena with a gun kind of posed. And it's got the uh, old school looking, uh, I guess, Asian font or some kind of a karate font or kung fu film font. It's uh, La Sombra del Jutoku contra Dr. Wong. Of course, Bruce Lin first build. They make you really think it's a Bruce Lee impersonator, but it's pretty far from it. Uh, Lina Romay, Daniel Katz, Sai San, Sai Pan, which is bullshit, too. That's a fake person, because, of course, they, meant, they uh, give a different lady a credit. And, of course, uh, Dingy. Wow, what's this? Oh, yeah, Diri, yeah. Diri G. De Por. Clifford Brown, so, yeah, definitely uh, one to skip, but, you know, I'll be totally honest with you, if Severn put it out, subtitled it, and had some audio commentary or whatever, some kind of feature on it, I would check it out, you know, maybe talk to Bruce Lynn, see if he's still alive, or or, uh, Jose Lamas, not uh, Fernando Lamas, but Jose Lamas, so, and not uh, the little llamas that you see on the side of the farm, but, yeah, anyway. Alrighty, well, I think that's about talking enough of the uh, El Sombra del Judoka El Contra, Dr. Wong. So, Alright, uh, if you dig this film, or if you don't dig the film, if you dig the podcast, or if you dig Desperate Visions or Lady Hyde or anything and you want to throw me any money, there's a donation button on the uh, Red Circle homepage there. One time or reoccurring, however much you want, feel free to do that. I'd always appreciate it. Uh, you can always find us on all our other serving platforms. Apple Podcasts, we're on Spotify, we're on Stitcher, we're on Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Radio Platform, I'm sorry, Radio Public, and a few other platforms. So 
And uh, yeah, check it out and uh, feel free to add us. Feel free to download the shows. Feel free to subscribe. You'll get a new episode every Wednesday morning at 1 a.m. West Coast time. Uh, what else we got? Oh, yeah, tell a friend if you like the podcast. Oh, or if you like Lady M. Or, I'm sorry, Lady M. That's another film of mine. Lady Hyde. Uh, please, uh, on Tubi, tell people about it because um, I get a few cents or I don't know how much it is yet because I just added it for my first film. But I know I will know in a month. But, yeah, you know, I get a few change. I get some change every time it plays. So, uh, yeah, that would be really appreciated. So if you don't want to donate, you can always tell people about the film on Tubi and watch it and tell other people about it and advertise it for me and uh, let them watch it. And then I'll always, uh, all that comes back to me. So I can appreciate that because, you know, you make art, you make films, you want people to see it. You don't want to have people say they're going to do something and not do it. If I said I would do something and not do it, then there wouldn't be no films. But I say I'm going to do it and I do it. So both sides work to make the end whole, you know? What if Star Wars or what if The Godfather or these grand movies, nobody saw them, you know? They wouldn't be what they are today. So even though my film is not that, it still needs people to see it and tell other people about it because we need to make money and need to make more films. So if you dig that, if you dig the show, if you want to talk to me or write me or anything, you can get a hold of me at uh, FrancoObserver at Yahoo.com. Franco Observer at yahoo.com. Uh, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at the Franco Observer Podcast. And uh, yeah, and of course, mission statement, praise and admiration and study and further explain the uh, stylings of Jess Franco. But uh, it's cool too because with Lady Hyde, I've already had people, I've had one guy comment and leave a review, and I posted it on the Instagram page, said that. Lady Hyde was the closest thing he saw to the Franco style of anybody that's done before. So I take that as a really good compliment because if you look at my old films before I really got into Franco, I really much did a lot of the same setups of him and how fast I shoot and how I do things and my style and my turnaround and everything. So I definitely he was somebody that was did it on a much grander scale than I, but somebody that I could find a very sympathetic uh, style and a very interested way to follow the way he does things and uh, incorporate it already into my method, which really wasn't much different. But those extra teachings and those extra examples and extra signs of how things work and see examples before me definitely has helped. So I'm already seeing it play out. So I'm very grateful for that. So. And I'm very grateful for all of you for checking out this podcast every week and uh, being along there from the beginning or new ones that go into it and go back to the beginning and start from the first and work their way up. <clears throat> so thank you once again. Alrighty, well, I think I'm going to wrap up my end here on this podcast on La Sombra del Judoco contra el Dr. Wong. Episode 114, film 114. I will see you next, of course, on what comes next, 115. But it won't be 115 film because uh, film 115 is uh, Cries of Pleasure, Jimitos de Placer. And we've done that already way back on, let me tell you right now, just so you know. Um, Cries of Pleasure we did back on... Uh, Shit, like really early. Um, Cries of Pleasure, we did. 
Wow, isn't it on the first 35? No, it can't be that old, is it? Wow, okay. Yeah, Cries of Pleasure, film 115. We did way back on episode 28. So, if you're going in order and you want to listen to film 115, go back and listen to episode 28. And uh, that is with Kali, I believe. Yeah, and that's probably like, I think my first or second episode with her. So, that's cool. So, you can go back and listen to that. And uh, she'll return on with me on... uh, Episode 115, which we'll do 116, Los Blues del Cali Pop. So it's good that we have Kali talking about Cali Pop. So, all right, guys, thank you very much. I appreciate everybody that listens to the show. Keep on listening, and we got a little ways ahead of us. So, Arrivederci, Buenas noches, Maha. Mm-hmm.